and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. But today we have a red guest with us, which is, is rare. So representing the Labour Party in Portsmouth North in our upcoming general election. Welcome, Amanda. Good evening. So the second of our general election specials. Mm-hmm. The um, first time we've recorded twice in one day. Yeah, no, it's uh, Simon, I'm sure, will be asking for over time with the editing, but um, we'll let you crack on. So, Amanda. Well, uh, don't worry, double time of zero is still zero, right? Exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. Uh, you need to both join a good union, that's what you need. <laughs> so, again, that's a marvellous, st- a, a great start. So, would you like to introduce yourself and kind of... What was, uh, how did you get into politics and um, how do you find yourself as the Portsmouth North candidate for Labour? So, yeah, my name is Amanda Martin and I have been a teacher in this city for 22 years and I guess that's how I got involved into politics. I became a school rep in my school and after about 18 months uh, went along to the officers meeting, became a local caseworker and at that time we had around 50% of teachers, I was in the NUT, around 50% of the teachers in the city in my union. And then we've merged with the ATL and become the Lash Education Union. And our membership has grown and we now cover over 70% of teachers in the city, as well as support staff. Um, in our new union role, we take anyone who's in education, because actually when you're in the classroom, when you're in the school, kind of all in it together really so i got involved in trade union i've been trade union rep for about 18 years and um i'm now the national president of my union as well as the branch and district secretary of the local group in portsmouth um so i guess that's how i got involved in trade unions and then for me it was it's almost been a step into politics was the next step really because as a teacher you can only change so much as a senior leader in your school, you can only change so much about the environment that the kids are working in, what you're teaching. Um, and even as a trade union, you can only do so much lobbying of the government. And I just kind of figured I'd had enough of the state of the education system in this country, the number of kids in my school that were in poverty. And I just thought it's time to just take a step out of your comfort zone and, and do something about it. So will this be the first time you run for election? It is. First time I've run in politics for an election, yes. Obviously in my union I've run uh, in a national election because obviously elected as the national president. But um, because I work in a local authority school, I can't be a councillor in the city. So um, I'm proud to be working in a local authority school. It isn't an academy. um, So therefore I cannot be a councillor because I work for the local authority. So it is the first time that I have run in a a general election. First time, first toe into politics. Well, rather than... I always think with these things, rather than taking a toe in, just take a run up and jump and jump straight in. It is, that's, uh, that's the approach you're taking. Absolutely. I mean, I am the chair of the Portsmouth Labour Party and I have been the, the chair for a year and the vice chair the year before that. So I have been involved heavily in the local politics and in canvassing and doing um, supporting local counts, councillor candidates and supporting the various um, campaigns that the Labour Party has run um, since I've been heavily involved, but never actually been the candidate myself. So it's a huge honour, particularly as my entire family are from Portsmouth. Um, my grandparents were all born in the Portsgrove and Wimmering area. My dad is one of eight, all still living in this city. 
Um, yeah, I'm one of 27 grand, grandchildren on one side. We've got a big fat, my Portsmouth is really important to me. Um, you know, some people get parachuted in to run in particular areas and a candidate say, oh, we need a candidate here. But I wouldn't run anywhere else. This is, this is my city, it's where I live. It's absolutely what I'm passionate about. I've been a season ticket holder at the football club for 20 years. Um, so it, it just is the place that you should run, I think, in your home. Uh, absolutely. So Pompey through and through. Mm. So we're going to ask you the big question, which is the one that Simon and I... The B word. Yeah, we scuffle over most often. And again, so Brexit, where do you stand? My stance on Brexit. I think the process has been horrendous for this country. I think the fact that it's taken so long and we still don't have a decision has really affected people's lives um, in in a negative way as opposed to a positive way. It's called division. It's caused division in families, in communities. However, a vote was taken, and I do believe we should uphold that vote. And I voted Remain. But despite the fact of voting remain, I realise that majority of the country or more of the country voted to leave. And I think that the Labour Party stance on Brexit is the right one. I think the fact that we are going to secure a deal, but not just secure a deal, but let everybody know exactly what that deal is so that when you are making a people's vote as to whether you have that deal or you choose to remain, you are absolutely aware of what you're voting for. And I don't think that's been an option. It's one we've talked about many times. Fair to say, Simon, that you've you've always been a people's vote advocate. Um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I've always been in favour of some sort of confirmatory vote because at the end of the day, it, it's like you say, it's a mess. It's been poorly, it's been poorly handled, and there is only one there is only one way to resolve it, really, because um, otherwise, you if you push one way or the other, you end up with. Half I think the country's just going to be yeah, really happy. I think withdrawing it all completely and just saying no, there's no, you know, ignoring the vote is is just not an option. I think no one would ever trust a politician ever again if that was to happen. But I do think that people need to be absolutely clear what they're voting for. What does it mean for you as a family? What does it mean for you as a worker? What does it mean for you if you live in Ireland? All of these things need to be on the table. Yeah, I guess my only concern is having looked at the, and obviously it's a deal yet to be done, but having looked at the shape of the exit option that, that Labour would be pushing for, with EFTA, with free movement, with jurisdiction of the ECJ, I guess my only challenge there, as somebody else who voted Remain, but have now switched sides to, to Brexit, is that really a Brexit option, or is that a Remain-like no, I think it is a Brexit option. It is a leave option. It is giving people the the option to go. And and yes, we need we need to keep some things um, for security and for safety of jobs. And you know this country need, but it does need to be the decision needs to be made very quickly. And whatever that people's vote decision, it needs to be made literally the next day. But what we have to realise is, even if we enact it the next day after a people's vote. We still need to realise that it's not going to happen overnight. There's going to be lots of changes and lots of time for things to take place. Um, no, I, I think it's a it's a secure Brexit deal that, that's you know been talked about. Perfect. So now is your chance to delve into the, in fact, chance being the optimum word, <laughs> as our high tech question selection. And um, if you if you've not looked at the pod before, our 
Pompey Politics, Pompey Politics Podcast, Pot of Pondering, is in fact a real-life pot. Now, I don't know whether you've come across this in your educational career, anything quite sophisticated as this? I have to tell you, we use all kinds of resources in education. <laughs> uh, it's pretty much tight on anything brand new, so we have to recycle and reuse whatever we can. Perfect. Oh. Name a policy that you like most from your political opponents and why. Question five. I think that I'd have to, I think the Labour Party Green policy has very much been developed from the Green Party's policy. I think we've taken it further, but I do think without the Green Party putting forward new jobs, um, the idea of renewable sources of energy, um, the idea of green spaces, the idea of how we can all as communities do small, but also globally and work with other countries, I don't think Labour Party would be where they are with their Green policy without that. Some people say that the Green Party is a pressure group, but I think without those uh, policies being put there in the first place, then we definitely wouldn't be as far along as we are in our Green policy. So a little... Oh, are we going to allow that? The Green Party? I suppose we'd better, haven't we? Well, they are an opposition party in Portsmouth North. They are. This is true. They are running. This is true. No, no, we've got to give you that. Fair play. Nicely done. So, yeah. I mean, I, I know that Donna, on her own back, chose to give answers for both the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats, but to be fair, she did also choose to say that she she liked the Liberal Democrat policy about revoking Article 50 because it helped her. So that's not really an admiration no, of, of no, another party's policy. So so I think yeah we're, we'll let we'll, we'll we'll that one. We'll let that slide. <laughs> right. So next, another one. Yeah, go for it. Okay, which one of your party's policies are you most proud of? Oh no, this one. This is a, this is a chance for you to have a run up and smash this one into the back of the net. Well, I'm a teacher, so I really should say the National Education Service. And one of the reasons that I do believe um, it is our best policy is how it's come about. Um, working in the trade union movement, I know that the Labour Party have gone to the professionals have gone to teachers, have gone to schools, have gone to colleges and have looked at what we require and what is needed in a national education service. And being a teacher for 22 years, the last almost decade has seen such a decimation of funding that's in our school, of experts like hemorrhaging of teachers and leadership, you know, finding elite, a school leader to stay more than a few years is very, very difficult. So I'm, I guess the most thing I'm most proud about is the National Education Service because it's going to start from Sure Start. They're going to bring back, we're going to bring back Sure Start centres, which has been proven research of kids at 11 have, who attended Sure Start centres achieve more and, and learn better when they're leaving in year six to go into year seven. They have more confidence, they have more abilities, they have uh, more self-awareness and there's been research on that and yet they've gone. So we need to bring those back in. I also think the National Education um, Service isn't just about properly funding, which is a, a big issue. At the moment, 90% of our schools um, are underfunded in this country. Um, but it's also about 
what's going to be in the Nash Education Service. So we are going to scrap SATs completely. And that's something personally, as someone who's taught it and has seen kids um, just be sick, hate going to school, it turns them off learning. Um, I think that's, that's, that's a good thing. As a, a classroom teacher, within six weeks of a kid being in my class, I could say to the parent, this is what you, um, you know, this is what your child is really good at doing. This is what they need to work on. This is what we're doing in school to support them, to push them of the things that they're really capable of. And this is what we're doing to support them in the things that they need learning. This is what you can do to help at home. And I don't need SATs tests to do that. I mean, no. teachers invented tests. We do maths tests. We do spellings. We do times tables. We check reading. But we don't need a given score on a given day. And I, so that was absolutely so. No baseline for four and five-year-olds and no SATs in key stage one and two no times multiplication tests that are going to be um, put out in a league table so absolutely and then the other the other element is to relook at so not just GCSEs but sixth forms what are we offering what does it mean to be in education working with industry looking at apprenticeships real apprenticeships that give people a job not just ones that they can sit on and do for a few years and then need to find something else but also the other element that I think is is really good because Angela Rayner talks about from cradle to grave is around the six years free education offered for adults um, because there isn't a job for life anymore you know the world is changing and people live in different circumstances so you know you may find yourself in a situation where you're made redundant or you're in a breakup and you need to kind of restart your life again and to be able to have you know six years across your adult life to go back in and have free education so that you can train that you can give part and be part of society again I think is just brilliant so it is that's for me is absolutely the best thing that we're going to be doing. And it's clear it's an area you're very passionate about. I mean, would you say that in that sort of that that sort of sixth form, the higher education, perhaps the the focus has been too heavily on academia and going on to degrees? I think in Portsmouth we it hasn't, but I do think in other parts of the country. I mean, Portsmouth has a lot of sixth form colleges, therefore they're able to offer even though funding cuts, they're able to offer a wider range of, of subjects. But very many parts of this country have six forms in a school. Mm. And it literally is just A-levels and a set of A-levels that are on offer. And and then it's the move to, to kind of go on and, and, like you say, study academia and go on to university. Somebody asked me at one of the hustings I was at, or asked one of the questions was around why only a very low percentage um, it's either less than 20 or just 20% go from Portsmouth North to university. And I think there's a whole range of things. I think cost is one massively cost um, because it costs to go to university and obviously Labour Party are going to scrap um, university fees. But I also think it's about... Um, it's about the fact they've been put off education in the primary and the secondary school years because GCSEs... My own son took his GCSEs... Uh, 18 months ago and my other son is about to take them in in the summer sat 27 exams yeah in this in the case of four weeks and it usually is over a longer period but they didn't have enough examiners so they had to shorten the exam pe period so that they could get everything marked any markers so he took like too many exams for nine gcse subjects and because there's been a shift to 100 um gcse 
in most of the subjects, it's very difficult. I mean, who on earth thought taking speaking and listening element out of an English GCSE was the right thing to do? When when we're in society, we're very often speaking to people. We don't write essays. We're talking to people. We need to be able to communicate. It is interesting, particularly in that area, that 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 a change in emphasis back to the written word when, you know, as you say, an awful lot of communication that we're doing now yeah. is either very, very short, very, very immediate. Mm. And, and it's yeah. also, you know, in the jobs that we've got, so much of the jobs now are in, in you know, the retail sector or, or we still got public services. It's very much face-to-face talking mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my own son wants to go into the Navy, but, you know, that's all about communication as well and, and speaking and, and all of those kind of things. So it's, it's just really... I just think it's very difficult and I think that, that, that the National Education Service has looked properly at what is needed. We've also got a, a huge um, rise in the number of, of kids with mental health issues. Now, is that the curriculum? Is it society? It's been on a rise since we've had the change in the curriculum. So we have to look at what is school doing. And I think that the problem that we've had, and I've said this to, my, to, you know, to union members, is that as, as teachers and support staff we we cope too well we we cover up the problems with the education service with the funding and therefore to because we don't want our kids in our classes to you know to 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 fail i guess so we're trying really hard but actually what we need to do as a system the system's broken and we need to make sure that the kids coming through it don't have to deal with those things anymore education is an, an interesting thing isn't it because it's i guess it's the thing that well obviously everybody with children you know their, their children are users of that service yeah. so it's kind of the great it's, it's other than the nhs it's actually the, the next kind of largest socialized part of our yeah. society that everybody kind of gets to use um but the thing that strikes me is that that comes really prevalent now is that for one thing the jobs that people are training or learning about now aren't necessarily going to be the jobs no. that people are going to need in 20 years time no. and there are jobs that haven't even been created yes. that my 12 yeah. year old who's who's yeah. in the middle of of um his secondary school he's in his second year of secondary school, in year eight he's about to have to pick his gcses because the mm. pressure is so much on schools to achieve in these league tables mm-hmm. that he has to pick his gcses at 12 years old to know what he wants so, to be so, doing so, so, you see gcses was a bit see i, I find that because i was in the first year that did gcses mm. so i was the guinea pig year of, of doing gcses and my daughter was in the last year that did GCSEs in their in their in that form. Oh, yeah, in the so it's a bit weird. But <laughs> one of the things that I know you were speaking there about concerns around actually welfare of, mm. of pupils. Well, she, she told me a, a story, you know something that one of the teachers had said to her, which was that you know you've got to make sure you do well in your exams because if you don't do well in your exams, you won't get into the right college, you won't get onto the right courses, and if you don't get onto the right courses at college and don't do well at college, you won't get into the right university, and if you don't get into the right university and do well at university, you won't get. A, won't get a decent job and I just think that's that's a horrendous pressure to put on mm. a 14 year old it's a, it's a domino effect thing isn't it it's, it's basically saying it if you get it wrong now that's your life your, your, your life is ruined and, 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 I, and I think actually and we went back you know the National Education Service I think the option of of six six years as an adult to go back and retrain mm-hmm. is it's actually sometimes I mean uh, uh, you know the rest of the modern world <laughs> 
they don't leave school at 16, they leave at 18. And they do, like Finland, the best education system in the world, and I've been privileged to go and see it. They, they do an education exam. Well, it's an education qualification mm -hmm. at the end of their school time. It's not set into subjects. In fact, they're doing it, they do a 10-year review. I mean, that's been the issue in our country, is whenever a Secretary of State arrives, they change. It's like a political football education. They, they change yeah. it and they want to sweep through with their own ideology. There is an education select committee mm. that, that is a cross-party select committee. And I don't understand why the DfE and the, the gov you know, the minister that's in charge of education, whoever it is, there's been lots of them at the time, but um, why they don't use that research? What's the point in an education select committee yeah. if you're just going to put in your own ideology? And I think that there needs to be more of that. Is that because we've had enough of experts, do you think? Well, that was Michael Gove, <laughs> who I have to say is, is Voldemort in the teacher world. Well, hopefully he hasn't got any <laughs> horcruxes. Um, so, Another question. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's an interesting one, because education, by the time you... Each, you're right, each government kind of does their... puts their stamp on it, but actually the, the pupils that are learning under that by the time you realise whether that's got had an effect or not, it's that government's changed. Yeah. So it's yeah. well, which is why with the, the sure start stuff I mentioned has just come out. Uh, literally, the you know the back end of last mm. academic year, um, and they've gone. So that that information from them being, mm. you know, going into sure start centres and then coming out in year six, I, I think that you know for me the hardest thing is my own kids have gone through a decade, almost a decade of school cuts mm. and less teaching assistants in their schools, less qualified teachers in their classrooms. If you're in an academy, you know, Michael Gove on the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games announced in a very small print in the newspaper that academies no longer have to employ qualified teachers. Like, that just went by. So if you're in an academy, you don't even have to employ a qualified teacher to teach kids. So I think pedagogy is, you know, the way kids learn is absolutely what we need to get back to. It's an interesting one. I'm telling myself to be quiet. <laughs> First past the post. Mm. Protector of our democracy or a burden? I, I, I think that we do need to have a review of our voting system. However, I think we cannot do anything like that until we have sorted out Brexit until we have put some policies you know into place in this country because we have to build a trust back in politicians if we were to go about having a review there would be a question around people are doing itself for themselves and all of those kind of things i think before we have any reviewing of anything in parliament at all any rules we have to come out the other side of brexit first and then maybe we need to have a look at what that means it's an interesting one because we, we, you know, I, I would say this this campaign has been more adversarial, and I don't know whether it's just the growth in social media or more people on it, but it does feel very much that 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 trust element almost has been eroded on all sides. Mm. I mean, definitely knocking on the doorstep, people have you know have a conversation, and there's that assumption that you're in politics because you're in it for yourself and someone said what's the point in voting and you have to just remind them you know if you hadn't voted in elections you wouldn't have all of these things but it's a conversation around and politics has become oh i can't be bothered and i think part of that has been about brexit part of it has been it's been all over i mean brexit is a, is a political 
journalists dream because they've been able to write on front pages mm. for 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 years now whereas very much politics was was not on front pages it was it was you know you'd have the odd story in a yep. paper but it's become it's become center stage and i think that that people just you know what's the point is is so many times what's said on the doorstep what's the point and it's having conversations you know i've canvassed for other councillor candidates obviously not run myself before and doorstepping this time is taking quite a lot longer time to talk to people because firstly they they're like a bit like and then you you have to like unpick why what what what's your problem why don't you want to have a you know why are you fed up with politics why do you think those things and it's a case of having those conversations but you're right it's become very very adversarial i've people promising things people saying they've done things and you just think okay you know where is the evidence of that um, to me, I'm brand, I'm brand new into politics. I've been, you know, heavily involved in this city for many years, working in many community groups and things. But um, it's definitely a conversation that I've had on the doorstep about trust. It's interesting because we we live in a we live in a time now where a lie can be posted on Facebook, as in, you know, you can put a meme up about something that someone tweeted or someone didn't tweet, and it'll be round, you know, round like that. Yep. But then actually, it takes time to counter that, mm. and there's, I think there's this really frightening thing of then people don't know what to trust. Yeah. Mm. So then their, their instant kind of reaction is to, you know, to, for some people is to distrust anything that anybody mm. tries to tell them. So it kind of stops that conversation yeah. taking place and it stops that, that part of critical thinking where we all actually take a view of, okay, well, did, you know, did X happen? Is that really what took place or is it being presented in a different view? Who, who does that kind mm. of help with it? I don't know, I just find it, personally, I find it quite frightening mm. that we have a, we, you know, lots of people are driven by and tempted by those um, quite sometimes quite populist kind of slogans. And sometimes there's that, there's that level of people are quite happy to see something said about person X because that, that hurts their opponent, if you see what I mean. They're not, they're not as willing to figure out whether is this thing actually really what was said or what was really done and was it you know was it done done in this way and was that what was intended whereas if the reverse happens and actually the target is the person that they're supporting they, they have a different yeah. kind of a set of standards as to as to how they analyze whether and whether where they look for the truth and it's this people seem to get their news from facebook instead of actually from newspapers yeah, but um, then i'd question that you know the the unbiasedness of newspapers as well and the unbiasedness of, of, of television. Yeah. I think one of the other reasons that people are, are off politics is they are working so hard, you know, they're working hard, they're going to work every day, they're coming home, they're, you know, hmm. different circumstances depending on where, where they're living and what their financial situation is, but they're basically coming home after a hard day at work, dealing with whatever family issues they've got at the time, whatever it is. And then they're looking at the politicians in Westminster and thinking, well, I've done a day's work. I've done my job. What what have you been doing? Mm -hmm. And I do think what you're saying is social media has, has heightened that mm. because everyone's 24-7 available as well now. Mm. Um, so there's those questions. But I think part of it is that they just, you know, when I've been knocking on the door, they're like, they just, I just want them to get on with their job and do what they were meant to be doing. And mm -hmm. I think I think that's one of the, the issues. But I do think social, you know, in this campaign, I've had 
some abuse on social media already. I was really privileged to be um, on the second cohort of the Joe Cox Women in mm -hmm. Leadership course um, two years ago. And one of the, the, the women on there, so Labour Women's Network kind of helped run it and, and, and do the course. And they talked about calling out behaviour and, and finding a way to do it safely. Um, so it isn't if someone writes, so there was some abusive stuff about my leaflet that had gone through doors, and, and, but rather than write it on the person's Twitter account that had put it, I just chose to put out a statement that said, you know, as my leaflet's dropping on the doors, abuse has begun, you know, mm -hmm. personal abuse. And, and actually, as a teacher, I teach my kids that you should respect other people's opinions and that you should accept that people are going to have different opinions. And then the final thing my nan always used to say to me is if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And that's the point that you need to be in. And, and, you know, I'm not saying it's gone away completely, but I do think that you need to challenge. And, and on behalf when I, you know, I'm the chair of the Labour Party, in the last local elections, we had two particular women candidates that were running in the council that had horrendous... Um, attacks on them on social media and I wrote to the mainstream parties that did it I wrote to the local parties and I wrote to the leader of the council and said this is not good enough these people are putting and then someone said oh well if you put your head above you should you should be willing to take that but actually I think there's a line isn't there yeah so. there's a line of let's have a conversation I don't agree with your opinion what's that as opposed to personally attacking somebody and I think there is there's not just the personal attacks but it's, it's interesting that that if the personal attack is about the other side, the willingness of people to believe it without question. Mm. There, was a, there was a thread this week on the Portsmouth Politics Facebook page where a troll had put up a, a it was allegedly a tweet by Jeremy Corbyn, and it just wasn't true. Now, I was quite happy to condemn that as a disgrace. There's no place for it in politics. You, know, you just can't tell lies mm. and pretend that you're somebody else. But there were some people who did the, well... Yeah, well, people wouldn't have believed it if it wasn't that close to the truth. And and, and similarly, there was another thread where somebody had written a story about Boris going to a hospital, and, and it was just made up. It was just a complete invention. But it, almost the two tribes separated, and at the extremes of the tribe, they were happy to believe, well, you know, it's a, close enough to the truth that we'll believe it. It's like, well, it's made up, it's a lie. And I think unless we get to the point where you know, every side's prepared to call out lies, mm. irrespective of whether it backs your, you know, your narrative or not. We risk being in a very dangerous world mm. where people just won't go into politics. No. And and I see that on top, whether well, only in it for the money and the power. And well, I don't but the, really. The, but the horrible thing is, is that actually in that situation, the people that will go into politics will be the people that will be in it for the money and the power. Yeah. And actually, people with grounded, real world experience that have got something to offer and actually a connection. You know, to the community that they want to serve and um, that they want to help and something to bring yeah. to it won't because the cost personally will be too high. It is a conversation I obviously have to have with, I've got three kids and it is a conversation you have to have with them. I mean, as, as a, you know, a leader of a trade union, when we've gone on strike, I've had hate mail in the post, I've been stalked, all of those kind of things because when you're a woman and you, it is, you know, when you are a woman and you do put yourself out there, People do feel they can just attack and give an opinion. So I did have to have a, you know, sit down and have a conversation with my three kids and say, is this okay? Are you okay about it? One of my kids has had some hassle at school about it, but he's, you know, his school were brilliant. The, the teacher dealt with it and, and they had actually an open debate around politics and what it means and that kind of thing. 
So, but in order to do that, I'd had to have that conversation with them mm. to make sure that they're okay with everything. And, and you know, you have to think about other people when you're doing this because, um, you know, I imagine politics can be a lonely place at times, mm. pretty much because you're often working out long hours and, and writing lots of things and doing lots of research and casework and, and, and all those various things. And so those people that are close to you, you need to make sure that they're with you alongside. Horrible that that has to be a consideration. Mm. But it's also quite, I don't know whether to be appalled or, or to have hope in the future from the sense that actually the children quite yeah. often have put, you know, pointed at it because it was Parliament Week a couple mm. of weeks ago, wasn't it? And when they, you know, when they've watched and they talked about us, there was something on the news and, and you know, some of the children kind of said, well, if we behave like that in class, we'd yeah. really get into trouble. Yeah. Uh, and we, I, I don't know, somehow we need to, we need to keep the level of respect and honesty that our children have and their view of the world because they, I know it's like it's really cheesy, but they are the future and we're leaving them a planet and a society. Mm. That they're going to have to deal with a lot more than we are. I mean, let's take the, the green, you know, the green stuff for example, or the climate change, and you know, the fact that that came really from a teenager and and mm. and from students. Inspirational. Actually, standing up and saying, our countries, you know, we need to globally, we need to save the country, we need to save the world, we need to do this, we need to that, we need to act quickly. The fact that that's come from them and not politicians is is outrageous, really. You think mm. about it, yeah. but it, it why mm. was it not over on? Because actually, green policy is difficult policy. You have mm. to be really courageous yeah. to say some of the things that, I mean, in our city, you, Portsmouth is what forty one kilometers squared, mm. less not even that, mm. and we've got one hundred and three thousand cars registered just in that area. Um, and it's not cheap to own a car, so it's not that people are owning them, just they're needing them to get to and from work. Yeah. But it's going to take courage to say, actually, we're going to need to do something about yeah. this. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's a subject, you know, again, as, as because I don't drive and I'm forced to use public transport. It is that, it, I recognise, it's that challenge of, you know, I've been very open that, you know, up until a year ago I used to work in Haven. Well, even with my disabled person's rail card, it was nearly two hours door to door to get to work. To jump in a car mm. is twelve minutes, yeah. and you know it was four and a half quid a day, and and a, you know it was half that in petrol. So there is that element where, you know, until you get a public transport network that is actually at least close to being as appealing to yeah. jumping in your car. Um, I think it's going to be a huge challenge. And um, I think there are some cities that do. I mean, obviously London's one example, but Nottingham City are doing a really good job on looking at how they can improve their public transport. Yeah. Uh, Blackpool with the trams, Sheffield has trams, you know, all of yeah. these places, Manchester, have, have, have different forms of transport. And I think that we absolutely, we need that. But I guess the the reason it came from teenagers is because it's it's a difficult conversation to have. It's not a vote winning. No, no it's not no. a vote winning policy. But but we have to do that. And and I think the fascinating thing when we've talked about it is that you know for me one of the challenges and I think it's fantastic you know that that you know the youth are becoming interested and and passionate about politics and passionate about the climate. But we actually live in a generation where as consumers, we are the most rampant consumers of stuff. 
that have ever existed. You know, it's that question of, well, I want to save the planet, but I'd really like to upgrade my 18-month-old iPhone. And I, I see those, those, two, those two worlds colliding over the next 10 years in terms of, well... You know, fast disposable fashion. Mm. You know, all those. Well, things. I guess we have to look at that. Is the top one? You know, you've got the top one hundred companies, haven't you? You know, they are the biggest polluters. So you have to look at them, also taking a part. We can all do our bit of recycling. Yep. We can, you know, I I think in the north of the city, there's absolutely a place for um, urban farm or a community orchard, which they've got in the south of the city. There's there's places, lots of places we can put a community orchard, for example. And that's doing our bit. But those big top 100 companies have absolutely got to take some ownership and do something about it. And that includes people like Apple, and you know, with a recycling. They've, they've got to put that somehow into their into their their designing. Yeah. No. Um, sorry, I'm going to because we've we've gone to 36 minutes. Oh. So which is good. Um, but um, we were just kind of we just kind of getting yeah, just sort of. Coming to a to a natural close there. Yeah. Thank you. So no, that's all right. No, thank you so much, Amanda, for giving us a bit of your evening, squeezing us into your really really busy campaigning schedule, coming along, and you know you can at least now that now that I the we're going to we're going to brilliant. We're going <laughs> to turn the microphones off in a second, and you can let loose with the biscuits. So. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris, and I've been Simon Sansbury, and I've been Amanda Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Marvelous. Excellent.